verses 18 to 23. And this morning we're going to finish out this important passage starting in verse 24 and going to verse 32. That's what the sermon will focus on, but I still want to read that entirety in its entirety. So would you stand as we honor his word together? Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18 and going to the end of the chapter in verse 32. This is the word of the Lord. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. I cannot read this passage without thinking that our nation is in trouble. Not just our nation, but our state, our communities, our homes, our own hearts. No one is absolved in this passage. When we read through it at the beginning, especially verses 24 to 27, we say, aha, we can tend to think, those of us that have been in church world for a while, aha, but then we start getting to verses 28 to 32, and then we see that all of us are included here. Well, how in the world do we get here? Charles Hodge once said that God is not a mere idle spectator of the order of events. He is at once the moral governor and the efficient controller of all things. He's not sitting in heaven watching everything that's going on saying, wow, I wish... I could do something about this. No, what is happening is he is letting things play out because this is exactly what 
so many in our country and so many in our culture and so many in our world have exactly asked for. This is what is happening. There is nothing that we can do in public, in private, or in the dark that is hidden from his sight. Psalm 139 verses 11-12 says, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. There is nothing that we do under the cloak of darkness or in the privacy of our own homes or hearts that will prevent us from being exposed. We will be exposed. So as a reminder from Romans 1, 18 to 23, well, really, if you go back to verse 16, when it talks about how how um, we are not to be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed, so the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The gospel reveals the goodness of God. The, godness, the gospel reveals the salvation of our God. But the gospel also reveals in verse 18 the wrath of God. Because those that choose to go in a direction away from the things and the design of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. What they are doing is they're suppressing the truth. It says that in verses 18 and 19. They're looking at creation, and they're saying, I don't believe that there's a Creator. They are not honoring Him or giving thanks to Him. Their hearts become futile, and their minds become darkened. And what happens is, is that there's a great exchange. And Paul talks about that there is an exchange of, the, of serving rather than the creator, they're serving the creature. Well, what really is happening is we're serving ourselves. We're the creature that we serve because we're looking at it based upon our own selfish desires and passions and want-tos. And we look and say, I'm going to accumulate for, the, the, for myself the things around me that make me feel good and, 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 and build up my, the, the things in my life that I believe I, I need to be having that will make me happy, that will fulfill me. R.C. Sproul one time when we begin to get into this passage, he says that the worst thing that can happen to any sinner is to be allowed to go on sinning without any divine restraints. The worst thing that can happen to a sinner is to be allowed to go on sinning without any divine restraints. Yes, God is actually restraining evil in the world. Just imagine what would happen if he didn't. But we're seeing what is happening in a world that is increasingly shaking its fist and stiffening its neck and hardening its heart to the things that God has revealed in His Word, by His Spirit, in His Son. We see what is happening. We see the change and the direction and the trajectory that our culture is going in. I don't think, I, again, I can't read this passage without thinking that our nation is in deep, deep weeds. There's a problem here. And so what's going to happen is, just like what happened with the Roman Empire, and just what, like what happened with Alexander the Great, who was thought to be unstoppable, or the British Empire, if you remember what it was said about the, the British Empire, the sun does not go down on the British Empire. Well, now look. And if we're not thinking 
that the same thing is going to happen. If we don't think that the same thing isn't going to happen to the United States of America, we're delusional. Unless there is a revival of the first order, a, a call to repentance, not just from people in Washington, but all of the citizens that make up our great nation need to be turning their eyes and their hearts to our Lord Jesus Christ. There's three, pas- there's three times in here in this passage that we're looking at that there is this phrase that sends a, sh- a chill down my spine. Three times, one in verse 24, another in verse 26, and another in verse 28, is this phrase that is used in the ESV, God gave them up. Some of you that may be reading the, the New International Version may actually say, have that word, God gave them over. I mean, both apply. I think the NIV in this case gets it close. Translations are, are funny business. And so we have to make sure that we're getting to the sense of what is going on. What, it, what this is called, theologians call this a judicial abandonment. It's basically saying we're the creator and judge of the earth when weighing matters in the balance, leave his image bearers to do whatever they choose to do. The restraining, the preaching of the word, the witness of others, the warning of friends, even your own conscience is screaming at you, don't, 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 in the case of something that you're doing. Or maybe say, do it, do it, do it in the case of something you aren't doing. None of those work. At every point we say, no, me, mine, I. And after a certain amount of time, God is going to give you over to exactly what you want to do. Well, I don't, ever, I don't, I, I don't think of God like that. I don't think God of ever giving up on me. There's a difference. He sometimes gives you over to exactly what you want to do so you can see exactly what life would be like if God wasn't in the picture restraining you. Are you with me this morning? We need to see what's happening here. So there's three giving overs. Let's look at giving over number one. And I hope you have your Bibles open. You've got to check me out here. We are a people of the book, so let's have the book open. I don't care if you're using your phone, your tablet, the pew Bible in front of you. This is something we've got to get drilled in, both in the hearing of the word and in the reading of the word. It says, in, in number one, in uh, verses 24 and 25, Therefore God gave them up. Well, gave them up to what? To the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because... They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The reason that they are dishonoring their bodies is because they have chosen to exchange the glory of the creator for creation. The glory of the one who made you for you. And and when we see this happening, we see the detrimental and devastating and destructive Actions that take place that all started with our worship or lack thereof. And so we see here that the, the lust of their hearts to impurity and the, the understanding here is sexual impurity, the, the dishonoring of your bodies. That's the idea here that was prevalent then 
and it's prevalent now. Turn on any family-friendly sitcom, and you will find that the relationships that go on there, you would be shocked if you haven't been watching them. And it's really hard to find any sitcoms like that now where that this isn't taking place. To where even if you're just dating someone, the assumption is that you will have a physical intimacy with them that God reserves for marriage. But now, because of quotas, we're also seeing other types of relationships that are going on that we may be surprised to see those of us that have been in church world for a while, but it's nothing new to the culture. It has been a trajectory that has been set. It's really interesting how TV programs sometimes work. And so you, you, know, you have a, a standard that's right here. And then all of a sudden, somebody really wants to move the ball up the field and they know what they're doing. So they put out a show that's way out here and everybody's like, whoa, whoa, what is this on TV? Why is this on TV? And you start writing and you start emailing and you start texting, you put things up and blast on Twitter, Facebook, whatever. And, the, and then the guys are like, whoa, whoa, okay, 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 we'll back it up. Right? They back it up here, but they still move the ball up the field. They may not have thrown an 80-yard bomb, but they've got a first down. That's what they wanted. And so this is what is, is happening, and it's so subtle for all of us. And we've got to be sure to recognize the dangers of getting outside of God's design sexually. So 1 Corinthians 6 talks a bit about this. I'm going to encourage you to uh, turn there. Normally we're just blasting away, right? But I want you, if you, if you go to 1 Corinthians 6, it's, it's the next book. You got Romans and then the next one is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And if you look at verses 12 to 20, Excuse me. Look at what's being said here. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Amen. We were talking about that just a little bit earlier, right? Praise God for that. Praise God, Eddie, right? Praise God for that. Amen. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you know that he who joined who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immoral, sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We could do a whole sermon series on this passage. But some principles that are here. Number one, our bodies are not meant for sexual immorality. They're meant for the Lord. And God has given us an outlet in marriage for that. Anything outside of that is against the Lord. There's no excuses that can be made that will justify us going against what he said. Number two, uh, as Christians, our bodies are members of Christ. We belong to him. He belongs to us. Third, as Christians, we can join Christ to that which is unholy. And we must be careful. Number four, the sin of sexual immorality is unique in that it's a sin against our own bodies. 
Number five, as Christians, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? I I hope you do. Because that's where he says, I will never leave you alone. He sends the Holy Spirit in us to guide us and lead us and to counsel us and comfort us and to lead us into all truth. Number six, as Christians, we were bought with a price by Christ himself. And so when we see all that Christ has done and we think about where our culture is going and what the entertainment is that's being produced, it doesn't seem like things are going to end well for us. But like that old commercial says, but wait, there's more. There's a lot more to this. In verse, going back to Romans in verses 26 and 27, for this reason, so he's building an argument. So he's going from general to specific. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, here's where we come to a passage that obviously is at odds with the world. And I remember when I, was, when I was young as a pastor and wanting to make sure that I didn't make anybody upset unduly, I would often say something like this, and some of my fellow pastors are doing the same thing. Boy, you know, I, I wish this wasn't in here, but, you know, I, I got to preach what the Bible says. And I remember feeling that way as well because I didn't want to set up obstacles. But here, here's the thing that I needed to repent of. I should never be ashamed of anything that God says in his word, ever. And neither should you. Neither should anybody. We're not more compassionate than God. Because that's what, that's what we're saying, right? Oh, I'm sorry this is in here, but I, I wish it wasn't. Oh, yeah, like we're way more compassionate than God. There, there is no one more compassionate than God. And you know how God is compassionate? He tells us the truth about things. He gives us his, his, his design that is good for us. Well, but it's not letting me do what I want to do. When has it been whenever you have done whatever you wanted to do? I've heard some of your testimonies. When has it ever been where you've done whatever you wanted to do and it's always been good for you? And it's always been good for you. No, it's not. No, we're not good for us. The one that's looking back at us in the mirror is not good for us. There is one who came that needed to rescue us by the cross and the empty tomb. And so when we're looking at this passage, you know, because the culture is so against us, it really betrays the fact that we wanted a seat at the table as a culture. We wanted a seat at the table of the culture as a church. And honestly, those days are gone. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Because when the church exploded early on is when they were the most countercultural. It's when they were the ones that were like, I don't care what the culture says. This is what God says. I'm going to lean in. And I hope that's where you are as well. I also have to realize that all of us are struggling with some certain type of sin. That God is is going to talk about. If we're not talking about it in in these couple of verses, we're going to get to it later on. If you've read verses 28 to 31, you're going to see them all there. So we can look and feel like, well, I'm not engaged in that sin, feeling like we have some sort of spiritual superiority like the Pharisees did. Or we could realize... That all of those sins that are listed as much in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, verse 11 also says this, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were saying, Christ can rescue us from any 
sin there is, the only unforgivable sin there is, is blaspheming the Holy Spirit that convicts and changes our hearts to lead us to Christ. Everything else is forgivable. Everything else is rescuable. Rescuable? Right? You see? So we're looking at this passage. And what is it saying here? Dishonorable passions. Your dishonorable passions when you fail to honor the one that you're supposed to worship. You don't honor the one you worship, then you're gonna, and, and you don't have a passion for him, then you're going to have a passion for something that's dishonorable. That you're going to worship something. So that void that is in your heart that you're not, of, of, of a God that you're not worshiping is going to be replaced by another small g God. And, and, and what are we seeing here? Well, when we look at this, what are we saying? It's talking about unnatural. Now, there are sins. We've got to be careful with how we're working this. So there are sins that are natural, and then there are sins that are unnatural. If you commit a sin that is, the, the unnatural piece is when it's outside of a man and a woman. Anything outside of that is unnatural. What's being talked about here is, unnat- is what's unnatural. Unnatural in what way? God's design. God designed nature to run a certain way. And to get, and when we get outside of that, then it's unnatural, meaning that nature is not running the way that it's supposed to run. Now, we do have some in our culture who are trying to say that we don't like what the church is saying about this is unnatural. I was born this way. So what, what they're saying here is this. One, it's natural. And two, I'm stuck. When you say you're born this way, that means that you are, that, that what they're saying here, and I've asked people, what, are they, what do you mean by that? Well, this is who I am. And, and that's where our culture has come along and has said this, that my identity is based in my sexuality. Your identity is, that, you know, and you know what that has, that, that's now going on into a type of worship. And we've seen some in our culture where there is this religious zeal about this, right? Even to the point now where if you are not on board, it, it's not just saying now in our culture, it's not just saying, well, um, I believe this, you believe this, you know, we'll just try and get along. No, it's, it's now where it's, you've got to believe this in order to be a part of who we are, in order to help us to be able to move forward as a culture to be better. And, and when we come along and say, we don't see that's better, we see that this is a, a worship problem. Then they come back and say, well, it's natural. It's, this is who we are. It's, it's, it's natural. And so their word is trying to overblow his word. And we see this conflict that is not going to be resolved anytime soon. And so we all have a, have a choice to make. Are we going to worship the Lord and go after his design and his way and his son? Or are we going to not some are trying to say that you can do both. I would suggest that they may take some time to actually open up a Bible because you can't do both. What we are and what we do is a result of what we worship and who we worship. And so when we're looking at this, here's another thing, and I, I want to make sure I don't go on too terribly long on this one because I want to make sure we're hitting this last part. Because every, every so often I have a conversation with those that are Christians who are struggling with the philosophy of this, and they're saying, well, really, what has happened is in 1946, that, this, that was when they started um, 
translating the word in the Greek to the word homosexual. Up until that time, they weren't translating the word homosexual into that, you know, but 1946. And so uh, we, we really don't think it was actually meaning something else, some other type of sexual sin. And my, and my thought on that is, what does 1946 have to do with anything? When Jesus is saying in Matthew 19, verses 4 to 6, and he is talking also about what I read to you from Genesis 1. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? That's all that needs to be said. We don't have to go into all the other peccadillos and all the other particulars. He said what he said about his design. Anything outside of that is off. And therefore a man shall leave his father and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they no longer are no longer two but one flesh. And what God has joined together, let not man separate. So anything outside of that is disobedience. Anything outside of that is dishonoring. And it needs to be repented of. God has your best in mind. And he gives us what he gives us in his word. But no, sadly, when we look at this passage, there's a word shameless. There's no shame anymore. Shame is a good thing. Shame, in in a sense that when God is calling us to do something and yet we go outside of that and we feel a shame for disobeying his word, that's a good thing. Somebody puts some shame on you because they have their own standard and they're trying to put that on you that's not necessarily in scripture, that's a different thing. That's bad shame. This is good shame. This is good shame that God has called us to. And we have to remember too that with some of these sins and all of these sins, there is a passage here where it says here that they are commit, they're receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. There's no waiting for the judgment seat for this. They're already receiving the penalty due to their error. So this is, this is the tough part. But now, here, here's my question for you. How are you receiving what I've just said? Some of you that may not be struggling with any of these sins. You may feel very superior, morally, uh, morally upright and such, and you're like, well, yeah, that's right. That's right. They should be, though. You know, and some of you, you may be in the middle of some of these sexual sins that are outside of God's design. How many excuses are you making to try to justify what God has clearly said is not his way? There is no excuse that is worth and that can overcome anything that God has said. Can you imagine the Lord being here in his fullness and you being able to see him and he, and you know what he has said in his word and you try to start justifying it? I, 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 that's exactly what you're going to do. You're going to be eating dirt. But that's what's happening now. That judgment is already in place. And until you repent, it's going to get worse and worse. And those excuses are going to get dug in and dug in and dug in. Okay. But then you're thinking, well, I'm not dealing with any of those issues. I'm so great. How wonderful am I? God, you must be so pleased with me. Again, I say, but wait, there's more. If you look at verse 28, here's, here's giving over number three. And this will be quick. And since God did not see fit to acknowledge, and since they, rewind, play, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. I mean, there's no foundation. Just all over. 
to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with. And I want you, as we're going through this, to be honest with yourselves and see if there's been any time that you have dealt with something like something that's in this list. All manner of unrighteousness, well, we're dead there, right? But all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. You ever been mad at somebody else and wanted something harmful to be done to them? Covetousness, you ever seen something that somebody else has that you want? Envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. If we're honest with ourselves, there's not one conscience in here that has not been pricked. Unless your conscience is so seared that you think you've already arrived, you've already betrayed the fact that you haven't. Because that in itself is a sin. We're all a work in progress. We're all under maintenance. We're all out of order. Until the Lord comes along and gets us right. Now here's what the thing. Though Though they know God's righteous decree, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Deserve to die for disobeying parents, for coveting, for evil, for, for envy rather, for they deserve to die. Yes, the wages of sin is death. We learned that in Bible school. Anytime we go away from God, that is proving that death is at work in us unless Christ has come to rescue us. Now, if you're a Christian, you're still going to struggle with it. But the difference is sin no longer has dominion over you in, in, in Romans 6, 13 and 14. But some of you have let sin so dominate you and you're justifying it. Stop it. By the authority of the will, will and the word of God. Stop it. This is not the time for us to play games with the word of God. We're shaking our fist at him. And what is the saying? Not only do you do them, but you give approval to those who practice them. And that right there, coming full circle, shows me that our nation is in deep, deep trouble. We're exalting the things that are against the things of God. We're making fun of the things. We as a culture, we're making fun of the things that are about the things of God. Isaiah 5.20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That is exactly where our country is right now. We can bleed red, white, and blue and feel all the warm fuzzies when the star-spangled banner hits and my country tis of thee and America the beautiful. It's more like America the pitiful. And, but God's not going to pity us if we keep shaking our fist at him. So we look at the culture and we say, bad culture, do better. No, that, that's, that's not helpful. That's not the gospel. Here's what needs to happen. We as Christians have got to get off of being so think, thinking about... You just need to do better and get better and, and have my values. Your values have never saved anybody from hell. Only Jesus Christ and him changing our hearts 
to hear the word and the spirit comes and indwells us and transforms us. That's the only hope. And so why did God leave you as Christians here and didn't just transport you up to heaven like you're in a Star Trek episode? He left you here to be his witnesses. You will be empowered by this Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Yeah, but I don't know how to evangelize. You know how to plant a seed. God has called all of us to plant seeds. Sometimes we want to we spend so much time winning people to Christ that we think we can't do that and therefore we don't plant seeds. But we plant seeds all along the way. And God begins to move in them and work in them and grow them. And those seeds are planted because we're people of worship. We worship Jesus. He's changed us. He's given us his word. And so when we go out into our mission field, that's not the, that, yeah, that's the, that's the big bad culture that some of us think about. And this is the holy haven. Not necessarily. We are called to go out into that culture and not make everybody a Republican or a Democrat. Not make everybody on this side or that side of public policy. We're called to make disciples of Jesus. And, that, and we're called to plant seeds all along the way. And when you ask God to give you the wisdom how to do that, you'd be surprised at what he will do. To just plant that seed and see what God will do in helping it and making it grow to where you'll get to heaven. And you're going to, and someone's going to walk up to you. You know what they're going to say? I was on my way. I had suppressed the truth. I didn't honor God. I didn't give thanks to him. My thinking was, was futile and my heart was darkened. I exchanged the glory of God. But you know, there was one time where we had this conversation in Walgreens and you just said some little something about your love for Jesus or something that you read in the Word. And you know, 20 years later, God used that to bring me to faith. And we were in a Walmart, Walgreens, Wall something, Wall drug, you know, South Dakota, right? We, we, we were somewhere. And that's, and that's how God works. You don't necessarily have to have the whole thing, but if you plant that seed, you may change the trajectory of someone from dark to light, from blindness to sight. You would be shocked. But there's some of you here, you're like, I can't get past that because I'm dealing with my own sin. Well, then that's another story. If you're exchanging the glory of God for some sort of impurity, sexual or otherwise, you are on a trajectory that is away from him and it's going to be dire and destructive. But this is the moment. This is the morning. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Don't, don't exchange the glory of God for the creator. Exchange the creation for the creator. Exchange self for the Savior. Come to Christ. See all that he is. See all that he has done. There's nothing that this world can offer you that Christ can't double it, triple it, quadruple it, a hundredfold over. He is all you need because one day he'll be all you have. Trust in Christ and Christ this morning. Heavenly Father, you've shown us your word. You've shown us the glory of God. You've shown us the glory of God in the face of Christ. And Lord, we will not be ashamed of your gospel. We will not be ashamed of your son. We will not be ashamed 
of your design. We will not be ashamed of your word. We will not be ashamed of the work that you're doing in us. Even if the culture calls us to something else, even if the culture promises consequences unless we repent of our belief, no. No. We will not bow. We will not bend the knee to anyone but you, Lord Jesus. And Father, whatever may come, may we be willing and ready to share with someone the hope and the joy that we have, but with gentleness and respect, as your word has said. I fear our nation is in deep trouble, Lord. And may your justice roll down like waters. But we also pray for revival. And we pray for those that are shaking their fist at you and making all sorts of excuses of why it's okay to disobey you. May this be the morning. May this be the moment. May this be the season in our country where we say enough. Enough of going the way the culture is telling us to go. Enough of where our heart is telling us to go. Enough. We want to go where you've told us to go, and that's to the cross. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May this be the morning where salvation is at hand and that you, Lord, rescue us from whatever we need to be rescued from, but rescue us nonetheless. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.